I think it's important to to show the limitations and not just the fancy the fancy side of the that but I think you know when you see communications through social media you can be biased towards that you know because you see some fancy terms and um, and some fancy claims and it's hard to for I guess for people that are outside of that health, of that industry to capture what's the real benefit and whether it really makes sense or not. What's the European perspective and zeitgeist on healthcare innovation and emerging technologies in the 21st century? Let's talk all about it with healthcare podcaster and French biomedical engineer, Matthew Chaffard, right here on episode 411 of the Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is about you, your personal professional development, your career, and the healthcare system in the big picture. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews like today's with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, technology, entrepreneurship, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride. And I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And guess what? You can now get CEUs from listening to podcasts. That's right. Since you're listening anyway, head over to rnegade.pro, R-N-E-G-A-D-E.pro, where they're building a library of nursing podcasts, offering continuing education credits for you. And you can find me and others at rnegade.pro, log in, select me or anyone else from the content creator dropdown and get CEUs because you know what, if you're listening anyway, you might as well get credit for it. And if you'd like to help other people find this show, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple, Google, Amazon, Spotify, share the show with others, and you could become a patron at patreon.com forward slash nurse Keith. I appreciate you all so much. However, you would like to get involved and help propagate and disseminate this podcast. Anyway, the show notes will be at nursekeith.com in the drop-down menu, or of course, on any app where you happen to be listening. And as I said at the top of the show, we're here with Matthew Shafard coming to us from Switzerland. He is a French biomedical engineer and a podcaster. And Matthew, I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks for having me, Keith. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So tell us about your podcast, the name of your show, and what prompted you to join in the um, fun of podcasting? <laughs> now, thanks for the question. And um, it's, it's actually an interesting, an interesting journey. So um, my podcast is called Impulse Meeting Healthcare Pioneers. So it invites listeners to meet the people who are advancing medical progress through in-depth conversations about you know their field of expertise and um, and their personal journey. Um, and the idea behind the podcast comes from, um, you know, working in the healthcare industry and uh, I've been listening to these conversational um, podcasts for maybe like three years now, uh, usually quite long formats, like two hours, three hours, sometimes longer. And um, it was not related mostly to um, to healthcare. It was like, you know, sportsmen or entrepreneurs or artists, that kind of that kind of people. And I thought it was always very, very instructional and you were always, you know, getting like an open window on a new world and um, and you would have this informal tone where you could kind of like imagine yourself having the conversation. And at some point I was looking for like different shows that would go into that direction, but I would, you know, kind of um, um, provide or invite guests that would be in the healthcare space. And um, there was a lot of things about digital health, and I think it's still a very trendy uh, space. I myself uh, work in that space. Um, but to me, it was missing, like, you know, the rest, because they, I don't think that digital health is the the solution to every problem, um, even on the, te- on, the te- on the technical side in healthcare. And um, so I thought I would just, you know, try it out and, um, start with um, some of the personal connections that I had. Um, so mostly in Switzerland and, um, and in Europe. And, um, and I also thought that, uh, you know, it would be interesting to, 
see how that goes to produce an episode, to prepare um, for an interview, to you know reach out to the people, convince them to uh, to join this adventure. Although like I'd not produced any podcast before, or I don't have any experience in uh, radio or this kind of like talk shows. And um, yeah, that's how it came about. About almost like uh, a year ago, day to day. I think I released the first episode on the 2nd of February last year. Yeah, the trailer came out, I'm looking, January 31st, 2022. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Yeah, Impulse Meeting Healthcare Pioneers. And you've covered a lot of interesting things. You've covered wearable technology, like actually um, smart textiles, which I thought was really fascinating. Your most recent episode is about propelling diagnostics through miniaturization. So there's a lot of interesting technological advances happening out there and you're a biomedical engineer so how did you enter that world you know what what was the impulse uh, no pun intended the name <laughs> of your show to no become a biomedical engineer yeah that's a good question so i i come from a family my two parents are are dentists so i mean we kind of like grew up um in that medical uh environment where we you know they would often share with us you know what what their job was about we would go from time to time to their working place and they would have lots of friends you know working in the medical field as well because you know in in france um when when you want to study medicine you do like you know first year and depending on your ranking after first year you can choose your specialty you can go to dentistry to medicine or other specialties so they had a lot of friends in common uh also working in in the medical space some were surgeons and were general practitioners ophthalmologists and so on so we had always been you know surrounded by um by this medical environment and um originally i thought i would study medicine and also like do this or go down the path of being a dentist because that's um that's the environment where i grew up in and you know i think it's a it's a very interesting job it's a very good contribution you know bringing back smile to people mm-hmm. enabling them to just to 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 yeah to smile to to eat mm-hmm. uh to talk so there's like i mean the value you bring is is really is really huge um but it's also like you know if you if i would have done that in france probably would not we would not have had that conversation today and maybe i would not even speak uh English and um, in in that sense mm-hmm. so um so yeah so I decided to say okay maybe I should go to engineering and um and find you know something that would have a link to medicine in a way so I went for biomedical engineering I checked a, a school in Switzerland where I studied called um in French it's called École Polytechnique Fédérale de Lausanne which translates to the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology I think mm-hmm. it's based out in uh, in Lausanne so in the French-speaking part of Switzerland, it's actually like a, a sister school from the renowned uh, engineering school in Zurich, TH Zurich, where you have scientists like Albert Einstein studied. Hmm. And um, and yeah, and that's where I started, you know, learning biomedical engineering. It was at the beginning in the bachelor's degree, it was lots of like, you know, more like fundamental science, lots of physics, uh, programming, mathematics, a bit of biology. A bit of physiology and then during the master's degree got more specialized towards what was called regenerative medicine so it was about biomaterials uh stem cell technologies so very much research oriented um but it, it was you know very close to some very interesting technologies that you know luckily i had the chance to discuss on the podcast um on on different episodes like episode 13 for example that talks about organoids and um and wow this new type of technologies you know supporting the um, let's say advancing the traditional way of doing drug discovery research so um so yeah and that's how it came about and then after my studies i worked in product development in um in vascular products so i was working on a, a new type of balloon catheter that was used for or was intended to be used for coronary arteries so the mm-hmm. arteries that um that provide blood in in the heart to keep it uh to to keep it pumping and um and I worked also for a short time as a field engineer sorry in the operational room to support ablation procedures 
for mm. uh, the treatment of heart arrhythmia. And yeah. Um, yeah. So a lot of cardiac involvement. Exactly. There, exactly. Towards the, the end of my studies, it was a lot about cardiology. And now I'm still in the card cardiometabolic space, but I'm now working for um, you know, a company where I um where I'm part of the digital health innovation team. And so mm -hmm. we establish a lot of collaborations with different startups in digital health. Um and yeah, that gave me a good understanding of you know how the ecosystem in digital health around you know cardiac diseases is is structured. And that's uh that's a very interesting, very interesting space. Yeah. And I opened the show by asking you know, what the European zeitgeist is around emerging technologies. And what what do you find, I'm sure there's many, many nuanced conversations, but if you pull the camera back, you know, the big picture, what are people in the European communities talking about and working on? What's the most exciting things that you feel like are developing in European healthcare innovation right now? Well, I think it's it's a hard question, and I don't mm. think I have the full picture. Um, I think it depends yeah, on the fields. Like, for example, in digital health, I think there's a lot of things happening. Uh, you know, to keep you know, kind of like patients out of hospitals. We have a lot of companies working in remote monitoring or enabling this sort of um, virtual care. So, like, you know, synchronous and asynchronous. Um, there are some very interesting startups uh, in that space in France, in Switzerland as well, in Germany too. Like, the, I think the the regulatory framework as well in Europe is quite advanced. Like, if you look at, um, at Germany, they have I think a reimbursement framework for digital therapeutics, and it's like it was the first country I think in the world to provide that. Um, so in digital health, there is really a lot of things going on. Um, if you look into like maybe the med tech space, I think I've seen a lot of things around surgical robotics. Um, that was mm -hmm. actually uh, one focus topic of episode episode two, where I received uh, the CTO from a company called Quantum Surgical, and I think there's a lot of also like emerging companies there, and um, you know that intend to compete with um, some of the big players in your country in the US. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's where the specialty really emerged at the beginning. Um, and then also like more on the, let's say early or research stage, uh, technologies, you have what I mentioned, organoids there, you see like companies like, um, for example, Roche, they're appointed, um, one very famous scientist and clevers as their, you know, the head of uh, early research and development. And he's kind of like the father of organoids. He was. And what are organoids? Could you, could you, um entertain my ignorance and explain that a little bit you've mentioned it's twice yeah exactly so it's like um i hope i'm not an expert but i will try to um, okay. to formulate it in a clear way it's like basically miniaturized versions of our own organs that you can like cultivate in vitro and you can oh, use yes. them you can use them to test certain compounds like you know and that basically allows you in some ways to you know reduce the amount of testing you need to do on um on animals it also reflects much like way uh better you know than traditional let's say two-dimensional uh cell cultures because there we are talking about like 3d models mm -hmm. and so it's very close in terms of um, the biology and in terms of the mechanical and chemical cues um, of what's actually, you know, happening in your, in our own bodies. Hmm. And so you have like models for, you know, for brain, for, you know, liver tissue, pancreas tissue, like basically everything can be, can be turned into these structures. And then those can be used to, in the early stage of, you know, the drug discovery per, um, process to take some, you know, some key decisions as to which compounds you would like to go and alleviate some of the yeah animal testing on the way. And when you mention organoids and that they're miniature versions of human organs, I'm, you know, lots of things go through my mind. Are these made of organic cellular materials or are they made of, um, you know, human-made materials? How do you make a miniature organ that you can actually use in research? 
Exactly. So both, both actually. So you, in the case of the human ones, I think you have different ways to get some. I think there's one way where you, um, where you kind of like reprogram certain cells of the, of the body and then you bring them back to like a premature state where they're not differentiated. And then you can induce, you know, through a sort of mix of different growth factors, you can orient them towards a new cellular path. And then from there onwards, um, you, you kind of like end up having these, auto-forming structures that are resembling, um, you know, the actual organs that we have. So I think the one models that is quite striking, I think it's for the, for the gut, mm-hmm. where you can really see these, you know, this, um, you basically have, you know, the, oh, I'm missing the words, but you really see like all these folds, you know, that our gut has, and you can really mm-hmm. kind of like replicate that at a very small scale. And with the two side, you know, you have the apical side, and um and the basal sides and um and the biology at the cellular level works the same way than what we have in our body and it's uh it's quite an impressive uh piece of technology and it's quite recent actually that's really fascinating yeah so it's a recent technology it's quite recent yeah Yeah. and then you have some big companies in the field like rosh i mentioned that you know i think our quite are putting quite some efforts into you know leveraging these new technologies to develop new treatments and um yeah i think that's that would be like one example but going back to your original question um i think it's like you know there's like some so much things happening in the field of like you know medical technology in europe in the us it's and also like that's what kind of like drove me to you know to start that podcast because the main driver at the beginning was to, you know, to learn things and to mm-hmm. meet along the way, you know, some very interesting people who would be willing to share a bit of their, of their knowledge with me. And, um, and yeah, so it's kind of like an infinite source mm. of learning. And you, you've mentioned Germany, France, and Switzerland so far is, are those three countries where startup culture is strongest or are we seeing that in other countries as well? I think at the European level, you have, yeah, you definitely have, I think, Germany, you have UK, which is not part of Europe anymore, but they have a lot of startups. Um, UK, Germany, France, um, Switzerland is a smaller scale, but it's mm-hmm. also a very dynamic environment and you have a lot of established also like biotech and medtech players there. Yeah, I would say, I don't, I'm not so familiar with, you know, other geographies like, um, uh, Italy and Spain, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that you know there is a lot going on 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 the western um, western part of the continent. Yeah, that's kind of like my my impression. And yeah. then you have um, lots of things you know happening in the U.S. as we mentioned. Like I mean, North America, in Canada, you have lots of things happening in Asia. Like for example, in Singapore, Israel also. That's right. Um, lots of stuff there. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's fascinating. And, you know, you're interviewing a lot of European innovators and people involved in technologies in your your episodes, which are all really fascinating. What's an episode that you feel like is one that would really help listeners kind of understand the goals of your show and what what impulse is all about? Yeah, I think it's it's uh, <laughs> it's hard. I would say maybe maybe check out episode six. Uh, I think it's an episode that has a very strong human component. So it's about a, a neurosurgeon, Jocelyn Block, who is working with a quite a known professor from the school where I studied um, called Grégoire Cotin, and they are working on uh, de- the development of a therapy that would ultimately that already you know enables paraplegic patients or patients with a severe section of the spinal cord to walk again. And um, so she's oh, yes. she's explaining, you know, how that functions, what kind of implant they're placing on the spinal cord, what are the, you know, the physiologic mechanisms that take place um, to kind of like reactivate these neural pathways that were kind of like, you know, extinct since the cell, since the lesion. And, um, and it's super interesting because she's, I mean, she's extremely humble and, uh, she explains very, very well how it works. What are, you know, the limitations? What are the future developments? Um, and of course, like there's the, 
you know, the human side of it when she, you know, she shares some anecdotes about certain patients, you know, that, you know, were able to walk again after years. I mean, we're not mm-hmm. talking about, you know, they were not able to run for kilometers, but they were able to stand, walk, go up a couple of steps in the stairs. And that's, that's really life-changing and that's, and it's already there. So this would be an example um, of a um, yeah. Very inspiring exchange. I need to listen to that episode. And um, that's number six. And so this is about using exoskeletons, modular exoskeletons. Not even even. that's the interesting part. It's Mm -hmm. uh, I did one on exoskeletons. I think it was episode three. But in the case of episode six, it's really like an implant that they have on the spinal cord in the back. And they have some, and it's coupled to like, you know, similarly to pacemakers where you have, you know, a pulse generator that's implanted, I think, at the level of the belly. And this is delivering the electrical stimulations, which coupled to, you know, another, I think some pharmacological substances enables, you know, the these patients to walk again. And it's very interesting because their technology doesn't only apply for, you know, I mean, motor recovery of the lower limbs. It also applies for the upper limbs. Mm. It also applies for um, the maintenance of uh, you know, the balance in terms of um, arterial pressure for people who have, who are like tetraplegics, who have, you know, these, wh- whenever you basically verticalize them, they lose, um, they faint because mm-hmm. their, their body is not able to sustain uh, the increased uh, pressure you're putting on them. So, so the potential is really huge and um and they're really making so much advancements over the past like 10 years and um this is super encouraging and this is like the kind of like stories that I think are really valuable to share and you know they're they're quite I mean in the case of Jocelyn I think she's quite um she they they've gone through a lot of mediatic coverage recently um for good reasons um, but I think it's still, you know, very much worth it to, um, yeah, give their give these persons a, a medium to speak and to um, and to share about a bit uh, about their story. Yeah, I, and I think, you know, failure is always part of technology and technological innovation because we have to fail along the way in order to learn so that we can we can move forward another half step, right? So it can be a few steps back and then a few steps forward. And But success stories are very important. We need to see how these types of technologies are affecting the lives of real life people, Mm -hmm. right? So we can have successful in vitro um, technologies that we're excited about. And every level of science is fascinating from very basic you know, lab science to the most, you know, advanced robotics and augmented reality. But we really need to see how it affects people because in healthcare, what it really comes down to is people. And do you, do you ever have concerns yourself as an engineer, biomedical engineer, that sometimes we can lose sight of the humans on the other side of the equation when we're so focused on technology? Is there a risk of, you know, losing touch with the the human side? I think it's a it's a good it's a very good question. Um I like personally, or if I base myself on the conversations I've had so far with the guests I've had the chance to meet and also like the people I know from work or from my studies, I I don't think we should be afraid. Uh, but then you have like, you know, recently, I think in episode 15 with Nicola, we talked about uh, Theranos and uh, you're probably aware of that story in the US. Um, but that's the kind of like a case where, you know, you have, um, you know, a person who is really like, you know, kind of like obsessed to develop a new type of technology from scratch. And then, you know, ultimately, I think they, the, the patient was not fully in scope um, from the start. And and then, I mean, there were lots of, you know, issues along the way, but I think, I don't know if the original intent was really there, you know, to um, to provide something new for patients and not, rather than, you know, coming up with a very advanced technology platform. Um, so, no, it's I think it's a very valid question. Um, 
then I don't um I don't have the the answer. I think it's it's important um in 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 the point you raised up that um not not to make people believe that you know technology is going to solve every problem. Um and I think yeah, most all the guests I guess um that I've interviewed they're all fully aware of that, you know, and this, and lots of them, even in very, you know, technologically advanced companies, they were telling me, you know, it's not, doesn't really matter. Like if you have the most technologically advanced uh, solution, but the doctors don't use it, the patients mm-hmm. don't get to see it. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, it doesn't have that impact. Yeah. And, and, exactly. Yeah. And then if, and if you think about like the healthcare industry, um, like so many uh, other things to consider, like, you know, regulatory, you have evidence to develop, like it's all like a very strenuous process. And it's really not just purely about technology. And that's why also like I try to convey in the in the episodes, I try to also show, you know, like, you know, what, what are the good sides of it? What are the limitations? And, you know, for mm-hmm. example, in, in the case of Jocelyn in the episode six, um, she's extremely humble, you know, she's, she was not claiming we can make we can make every, you know, paraplegic people walk. It's going to be out there in a few years. Um, it was really not the, the tone, you know, it was more like, yeah, we're making progresses. We still have, you know, um, struggles with that thing and that thing. And, but we have, you know, some ideas of how we can get there. And um, yeah, I think it's important to, to show the limitations and not just the fancy, the fancy side of the, that, yeah. that I think, you know, when you see communications through social media, you can be biased towards that, you know, because you see some fancy terms and um, and some fancy claims, mm-hmm. um, and it's hard to for I guess for people that are outside of that help, of that industry to capture what's the real benefit and whether it really makes sense or not. Yeah, and I think you know hype is a big part of a lot of this at times, you know, Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos, you know, she defrauded so many investors and Mm -hmm. that was a, that was an incredibly, um, important moment for people to note, um, you know, someone kind of going about it the wrong way. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and then we have so many discussions about um, artificial intelligence right now. It seems like it's in the news every five minutes right now. So we have to, we have to, you know, be measured in the way we look at these things and know yeah. that it takes a long time. And social media and the news doesn't always give us the real story. So we have to, as healthcare providers um, from this side, you know, we have to really keep a, a skeptical and critical eye so that we yeah. we understand the reality of what's happening out there in the world and exactly and you know looking at things with hindsight and not just jumping into the first you know fancy piece of technology i think what you're referring to now is like what happened with the release of this chat uh, gpt chat gpt (laughs) exactly and everyone going crazy about it like it's making a lot of fuss in the tech and the tech industry i think um and it's interesting to see you know how much how much like um yeah, how it's turning things upside down in like a matter of days. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, when we come back from the break, I'd like to talk about a little bit about podcasting itself and mm-hmm. your podcasting journey, your vision of podcasting in Europe, what's happening yeah. in terms of its evolution in the European yeah. Union, and some other things about um your whole your whole journey and your career. So we'll be right back with the second half of episode 411 of the Nurse Keith Show with French biomedical engineer and podcaster, Matthew Shafard. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with friend of the pod and my new friend and colleague, Matthew Shafard. Prior to the break, Matthew, we were talking about chat GPT, of course, because everybody's talking about it. And we're also just talking about the ways in which we need to keep a critical, skeptical eye on technology and not just jump for the next bright, shiny object. And I think there's a lot of bright, shiny objects out there to get excited (laughs) about. But I want to talk about 
one bright, shiny object, which you and I both love, which is podcasting. So at the beginning of the the show, you talked about how you decided to launch Impulse and introduce healthcare pioneers to your audience. And I'm curious first about podcasting in Europe. It's very, very big in the United States. It's, you know, the surveys Mm -hmm. show that podcasting has grown in acceptance among the American public. And Mm -hmm. most people seem to know what a podcast is now, which is great. And there's a lot of listening going on which is wonderful. So what's happening with podcasting in Europe? What's, what do you find is the, you know, the state of the technology and the medium? Yeah, I think in a few words, I think we're like, we start to catch up basically with, uh, you know, um, with all the activities that's going on in the US already. And I think it's already very much established uh, in your own own countries you mentioned. And I think in Europe, it's really, starts to you know you see so many new independent podcasters trying or you know starting their own shows and even the the big ones that are you know starting to emerge I, I, they're not that old like we're talking about like maybe five years from now so they started you know podcasting in 2017 and I think by that time in the US it was already very much established so mm-hmm. it's really I think especially like 2022 it was really booming like you had you know independent podcasters you had like startups you had companies starting their own shows and 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 also like the whole um the whole economy around it got democratized you know like it was um, much more um it's much more common now to you know place sort of like audio advertisements and and I think it was um yeah I think it was kind of like copied on the American model and it's just now being you know accepted by um or being yeah, endorsed by um by Europeans but it's really booming and I think it's interesting because you see all these new voices coming in and you have lots of like you know niche shows like I mean like mine basically but it's it's super interesting because now whenever you want to learn about a subject you can go like to Spotify and instead of typing the name of a song you type you type you type in the name of um of a topic and then you just see like so many different um yeah original content mm-hmm. that's um that's pro- being produced um I guess there's a lot of like less quality content as well of course but um the choice is really increasing and and I think it's it's good like it's interesting that's great to hear. And your show is recorded in English. So you have you have um guests on and you speak English so you can reach a you know a wide audience. But in Europe, are there is there a preponderance of shows that are recorded in European languages? So they they kind of have a more limited reach among speakers of that language? Yeah, I mean I I I don't think I have like the full picture, but I guess like, for example, I'm, I'm French and like the big, uh, obviously the big shows that work in France are in French. Mm-hmm. Um, in Switzerland, it's a, it's a bit different. Like you have three official, like four official languages actually. So mm. it's way more fragmented. Um, I don't know, like there's like, I mean, obviously the big, let's say the big, um, the big shows in English in Europe, I guess, are some are coming from obviously the UK, some are coming from the Nordic countries, and I guess there's also some coming from Germany. Um, but I feel like it's a yeah, it's it's kind of like more limited to um to one geography, of course, due to the language barriers. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, that would be my impression of it. I don't know if there's like, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to tell one show in English or maybe like the BBC news podcast that would be, you know, listened to and very much, um, you know, um, popular in geographies that go beyond the UK, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting, you know, in, in video, obviously we have closed captioning and we can watch videos in any language and have subtitles and closed captions. And, you know, in the podcasting world is a little bit more of a challenge and, you know, if you want to reach, you know, the largest audience possible, you need the most, you know, you need a common language to work from. So that's, I can see how that could be difficult for like speakers of Portuguese who, you know, Mm -hmm. 
they that's a more limited uh, group. You know, we have people in Portugal and Brazil and some other places around the world, but that doesn't that limits your audience. Mm-hmm. And you know, here in the U.S., obviously, we you know English is the is our one language and most of us only (laughs) speak one i happen to speak spanish which i'm proud of but (laughs) americans are known to not speak many languages and here you are in switzerland where you know you have four official (laughs) languages so that that level of linguistic flexibility is i've always admired it so much and you know i'm curious what are some of the things you've learned either about yourself or about the world around you the lessons you've learned and being a podcaster and and how it's how it's changed your life or enriched your life yeah i think the first thing is that i think um, people are more um accessible and open than i thought like you know when i started uh when i had the idea and i was preparing for like the first episode and you know, not not even preparing the first episode, like you know, scouting for like the first guest, and was I was really like asking myself, like, are, am I going to get any answers? Like, you know, will they be interested in that? I don't, I don't have any materials to show them. Um, and and most of the people, and even until now, like I guess ninety five percent of the requests I sent, they all came back with a positive answer. Um. And really, that was like a big learning because to me, like there were, I mean, most of the people, like all, all of them, actually, I, I really, you know, are, you know, they're quite exceptional from my perspective. And I would not have thought that I would ever have like, you know, the opportunity to sit together with them and, and, and discuss uh, some of their work, um, some of their personal journey, um, you know, without knowing them before. So that was one thing. And then maybe the second thing is um, what I wanted also like to work on was like, you know, you, the way you, I, I was expressing myself, you know, orally. And I thought it would be a good, a good way of learning that through podcasting. And, um, and I think you can, you can kind of like feel that throughout the episodes where you feel a bit more comfortable, you know, you put less pressure on yourself. And, um, and yeah, I think it gave me like some sort of like, personal confidence in, you know, expressing myself or like sharing my opinions that I didn't have before. And that is actually, you know, um, very useful in my everyday today, like in my day-to-day life or in my professional life and, and, and now in my, in my upcoming episodes as well. So, um, yeah, I think also it's very nice to, um, you know, to have like a sort of like, it's, it's a personal project, um, Mm -hmm. outside my work. So I don't have like, you know, I'm, I'm, I have like a huge amount of freedom and I really like that, you know, I'm free to choose who I get in touch with, what topic I want to cover. Um, I, I don't have any pressure in terms of like, you know, a timeline or frequency of episodes and, um, to release. Like I try to be, you know, I have like two episodes released per month, but it doesn't have to be every two Mondays or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nice also to get feedback, you know, from, at the beginning, it's like, you know, friends, uh, close relatives, family, and an expense. And then you have, you know, people reaching out to you, um, you know, saying, wow, that's, I mean, what you're doing is cool. You're getting, you know, recommendations in terms of guests. Um, and again, like, you know, just like creates a sort of um, a circle where you're being exposed to um, so many different people that you would not have um, had the chance to encounter beforehand. and. Um, yeah, and as I said at the beginning, it's it's people are super open, you know. It's uh, mm-hmm. it's it's really um, it's a very good learning. Um, maybe yeah, the main one since I started. Yeah, we can learn a lot about ourselves, and you know, I started blogging back in two thousand five, and then I start and my blog is eighteen years old now. Yeah, and I started podcasting in twenty twelve, January of twenty twelve, so um, eleven years ago, and I've always appreciated the what I see is in some, on some level, the democratization of media and how we can all become journalists if we want to. And, you know, Mm -hmm. we're not all professionals, but if you have something to say and you have the ability to, you know, you don't even need to buy an expensive microphone and, you know, it's relatively easy 
to create a platform for yourself. And if you have something to say or you want to highlight other people, you can do it. And Mm -hmm. I think that's an exciting way of disseminating information. And you and I both, I think, have opportunities to expose our audiences to people they wouldn't know about otherwise. Like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. my audience is listening to you, Matthew Shafard, and you know, mm-hmm. they might not have found you that easily otherwise. So For I sure. love I love that cross-pollination that can happen. And it's always nice to interview another podcaster. Mm-hmm. And so there's there's personal growth, there's professional growth, and there's also just this window on the world that podcasting gives us. And so people find impulse on, well, I, I have it here on Apple Podcasts, but I'm assuming you're on Spotify and Amazon. Yeah, and- exactly. Spotify, Amazon, um, Google Podcasts. I think there's also like a couple of other ones like Stitcher. So all the big all the big players, basically. Exactly. Like yeah. if you put the link to uh, the website, which is, you know, uh, impulsepodcast.com, mm-hmm. um, you have the links to all the the major streaming um, streaming platforms where it's available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you're also on Instagram and Twitter and you're on LinkedIn. So we'll LinkedIn, have that in exactly. the show notes. But I have, um, I have a question for you. I want to backtrack for a moment to this notion of healthcare innovation. And I I just, I have this curiosity that I wanted to ask you. You know, in countries in Europe where taxes are higher and there's somewhat more of a socialist orientation, you know, I'm thinking of places like Holland and Scandinavia where, you know, people don't pay for university and you know they get mm-hmm. relatively mm-hmm. free healthcare i mean you pay taxes for it but yeah. these things are available is are european governments plowing a lot of money into healthcare innovation or is it more kind of like a private sector endeavor in that particular space in europe you know just overall yeah, no, I, th- I think it's a good question. Um, I don't think I have like all the elements to respond, but mm-hmm. I think from my perspective, I think in France, I think like now the public, uh, let's say the public funding is trying, you know, to push for that. Um, but I think in the reality, it's still like very much, you know, funded by private, by the private sector. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't. I like. I'm. I'm not really into. You know, like um, the local. Let's say, like in health policy, and I don't know how. You know, all these decisions are being made, and what's the exact. Uh, you know, what what are the exact numbers? Mm-hmm. But I'm. I mean, my impression is that you know, with all these like you know, startups in the medical space, so like digital health, in medtech, in biotech, I feel like it's usually mostly uh, mostly driven by by private money. And and I think now governments are trying, you know, to to push a bit more. Um, I think there's like a an innovation fund in in France at least that's quite active in that space. Um, but it's I wouldn't I wouldn't say that it's uh, you know that's the actual money pot that tri- mm-hmm. that's that's driving the the whole innovation there. Yeah, I was curious how how that's developing in in Europe. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to backtrack and ask you that question. Speaking of questions, I have four quick ones I like to ask all my guests. Are you game for a little lightning round? Yeah, sure. Yeah? Okay. So my first question is, how do you define success, either personally or professionally? Oh, um, I think it's when you manage to, you know, to to help people. So Mm -hmm. if if you see through the podcast uh, prism or if I see through like the, the impulse prism um, that's when people tell you oh I learned this new thing or I you know I came across that company that it's like close to my field of working and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's super interesting and it's super nice that that we got like all these insights through the conversation that you had um, it's really yeah when you when you help people um, I think Again, like when I started my like the podcast, um, the intent was not to make something you know that would be listened by you know millions of people. Mm-hmm. It was more like to learn new things, to meet inspiring people, and to inspire others you know along the way. And um, 
and yeah but even like you know in in my in my job and in my personal life i think it's yeah if you can if you have that feedback that you know someone is like being thankful to you because you've you've helped them in some way that's um hmm. that's it i think a lot of my listeners would agree cuz most of them are nurses so exactly that's yeah. part of their <laughs> you know their reason for being right for sure um <laughs> and speaking of inspiration would, could you name or just describe someone who's really inspired you in the course of your life it could be a famous person um someone none of us would have heard of or it could be they could be living or dead just someone who's had an impact on you yeah i mean i just think a bit um i think like one that people won't know but i know very mm-hmm. well is like my mom so she's uh, she has a very interesting story she's uh she has uh, vietnamese origins so she came to france mm-hmm. when she was 12 uh, not speaking the language and you know just finding her way with i think five siblings they were raised by her, her uncle because her parents like died of a short time after after she moved to 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 france so she has a very inspiring story and she's definitely one of the of the figures i really look up to hmm. um that's and nice. then on on the known um on the known side um if there would be one person or I don't know, maybe like a fellow uh, podcaster that's actually very, very known in the US that I listen to uh, quite often is uh, Professor Uberman in Stanford uh, mm. with the Uberman lab. I think what impresses me is like, I mean, the way he expresses himself, the amount of you know, knowledge he has and the way he's podcasts are made so i think i have the impression it's like you know one shot takes especially the the beginning of the series where he's just like talking about science and you know giving some practical insights and uh and tips on how to improve your your health or your your let's say mental capacities through like you know science-based tools and, mm-hmm. and and resources i think it's like super valuable and just the way he does it like the way he expresses himself the way he articulates his ideas mm. uh the way everything is backed by you know very concrete um science with references and so on i think it's it's so well made and um yeah i always think it's quite impressive also like now the way he's running his interviews what's the name of his podcast i think it's called uberman lab hmm i'll have to find that one yeah i think it's h-u-b-e-r-m-a-n lab mm-hmm. i'll i'll look for him yeah so my third question is is there a book or a movie? It doesn't have to be an absolute favorite that's had an impact on the way you think or the way you live your life. Um, yeah, there's been many. I think one, uh, yeah, one that comes to my mind is uh, "Quiet" by Susan Cain. Oh yes, yeah, that was a very good and interesting one. Like, so I'm, a, I'm also like, a, so it's about for those who do not know. It's kind of like a book explaining, you know, the science behind uh, people who are introverts and and people who are extroverts, and you know, and all the different, um, let's say, profiles within the the spectrum. And um, yeah, the, I mean, to me, it was quite kind of like you know very um, interesting because I really recognized myself as a, as an introvert person in the book and uh, the person. So Susan Cain, I think she she used to be a lawyer or she was working in in the legal space and she mm-hmm. was also like very much introverted so she shares a lot about you know the impact it has had on her career and then on um yeah on her personal journey yeah i need to read that book for sure it's it it's really interesting yeah. yeah it's about the power of introversion in a noisy world which i think is yeah exactly yeah. exactly and yeah you know i mean i i, I work in a big company and you can see these things, you know, like sometimes you have the impression that, you know, people who are the loudest, um, you know, have better chances or it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think there's like, there's a lot of like natural biases that we have as humans, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that influences our ways of taking decisions and so on, Mm -hmm. but it's a super interesting book also like very much science-based and uh very clearly you know frames and mm. um yeah i have to put that one i have to put that one on my list for sure okay last question <laughs> if you were elected king of the world what's one of the first things you would want to do to improve the lives of your subjects 
one thing you would like to do first thing whoa <laughs> that's a that's a big question yeah um, yeah no i think i would um i would either you know provide like uh good health for people across their like you know their lifetime to mm-hmm. everyone or i would do like something like you know alleviating hunger or like something that has a very high impact on certain problems that we still face in our world that sometimes mm-hmm. i kind of like wonder why when you see the the amount of resources that we have at hand um yeah that would be i think in that direction maybe it's a bit of a trivial answer but that's what comes to mind i don't think that's trivial at all no several other guests have said they would go with food clothing and shelter you know they would go with the very basics first because really? So, really? so many people lack water and access to food and yeah. access to mm-hmm. housing so no i wouldn't say that's trivial at all mm-hmm. i think it's beautiful well matthew i really want to thank you so much for reaching out to me and i love your show it's impulsepodcast.com and you can find it impulse meeting healthcare pioneers on Spotify and Google and Stitcher and uh, Apple. Um, I just think it's wonderful. And thank you so much for adding your voice to, to the, you know, to the conversations that are happening about healthcare innovation. And thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Keith, for the, for the opportunity to share my story. It's interesting to be on the other side of the microphone and yeah, yeah, I, I, really also, you know, supporting your, your activity. And it's, to me, it's impressive that you've been doing podcasting for like, you know, more than 11 years now. Mm, So you you surely have a lot of things to, to teach me as a newcomer in this space. Thank you so much. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. Remember the show notes would be at nursekeith.com and please check out Impulse meeting healthcare pioneers on any podcasting app or Impulse podcast I hope you feel uplifted, empowered, and informed from this episode. And if you need personalized, holistic career coaching for your nursing and healthcare career, check out Nurse Keith Coaching at nursekeith.com. Mention the show and get 10% off your first coaching package. And go to rrenegade.pro if you'd like to earn CEUs for listening to podcasts because you're listening anyway. So why not do that? We are a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. We're produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting and Mark Cappies-Beeson is our social media ringmaster and newsletter wrangler. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by Albert Schweitzer. Success is not the key to happiness. Happiness is the key to success. If you love what you're doing, you will be successful. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And Matthew Shafard saying adieu from Zurich. (laughs) From Zurich, Switzerland. Thank you, Matthew. Thanks to everyone for listening. And we will catch you on the proverbial flip side. 